Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 212, I welcome back our great friend, Shay McMaster, to the podcast. Shay is the founder of Enlightened Athlete, based out of Hastings, Nebraska. Shay was originally on the show over four years ago, and it's been great to catch up with him, have a great conversation about uh, all things Enlightened Athlete, overcoming and growing through the pandemic, and his podcast, Get Uncomfortable. I hope you enjoy our conversation. It's episode 212 with Shay McMaster. Shay McMaster, welcome back to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. How are you, man? I'm good, man. It's a little uh, snowy and cold here. I'm wishing for some sunshine, but other than that, I'm good. I'm surprised you're not outside in your bare shorts, just uh, soaking up the cold. Getting a I just was. Yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. was. I did an ice bath. <laughs> Have you? Oh, mate. How are you finding those at the moment? Uh, I love them. They're, I think they're so useful. You know, like it's one of the most useful tools, uh, mm. even a cold shower, you know, like it's pretty much free and it's such a powerful tool to be able to tap into your breath and just lower inflammation. So I, I love them. Yeah, man. I think before I started doing mine, I remember seeing you just getting in your chest freezer, just <laughs> showing those videos, accountability, getting it done. Loved it. Absolutely love seeing it. Yeah, man. It's a lot of fun. We actually, uh, we're doing a workshop, me and my buddy, Jordan, we're going to do a, it's called pressure proof yep. uh, here at the gym. And we're going to take people through a workout through a bunch of different breathwork stuff and uh, actually get people at the end into the ice bath. So we're going to teach them a framework mm. to deal with stress and then take them through and give them like a practical situation to be able to apply the lessons and the tools we just learned in the ice bath. So I'm very excited mm. to take people through that. You know, people think it's like sadistic, isn't it? And it is a little bit like you is a little bit like that, but there's an element where life's going to be stressful. And what, what I've really come to understand is that by giving myself that little bit of stress, I learn how better to deal with the stress. Maybe that um, I'm not putting myself under you, maybe some of the environmental stress, maybe some of the stress of the world or the work. And, uh, and I just find that I'm able better able just to lead myself back to peace or whatever that might be. Yeah. I think that's like, I think that's something that's really important. I was just listening to a podcast earlier um, and it was something they were talking about a book called Comfort Crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's by Michael Easter. And I think the stat was uh, 93% of people's adult lives are lived indoors, right? So everything is comfortable. You go from a climate controlled room, house to a climate controlled car to a climate controlled office. Like we're never exposing our bodies to stress or our minds yeah. to stress or being tested. And I think if you don't expose yourself to a little bit of that stress, I, I think the effect is called hormesis. Like you expose to a little bit of stress that helps you actually overcome that and build back better. Mm. And if you don't do that, the smallest little thing could send you to a 10, right? Like right. sitting in right. traffic, it's a 10. You're, you're slamming and hitting your uh, steering wheel and you're screaming at the windshield where it's mm. like, if you would maybe do an ice bath or hard workouts or jujitsu regularly, and you have a grown man trying to choke you to death, traffic doesn't seem so bad right yeah yeah and that's you know it's relative isn't it you know i don't think there's a general playbook hey do this thing but i think the thing that you kind of practice and what that you preach is just this idea of get uncomfortable and we all have you know a comfort zone 
And then obviously on the other side of that is a an out of our comfort zone, getting uncomfortable. Tell us about, because that's the one thing that's really kind of come into this world since we last spoke. You were on the show February 2019, episode 35. Um, man, it's been a while. It's been a while. Obviously, we've stayed good friends and connected. You've become a father since... Um, and you've launched this wonderful thing called Get Uncomfortable Into World. Tell us about the heart behind, or the heart and the mind behind Get Uncomfortable. Yeah, so we had talked initially, um, you know, I was wanting to start a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like, just something to express myself creatively, I think. And I was just looking for a way where I could dive into the mental performance aspects or the physical performance aspects of hardening yourself like inoculating yourself against stress because Mm. one of the buddhist tendencies is life is suffering right that's Mm. like the first of the four noble truths in buddhism and if life is suffering then we need to learn how to deal with that right Mm. and the buddhist path takes a little bit of a different way like releasing Mm. uh desire basically but i think if i could teach people how to better deal with stress by artificially creating stress and going through it and recognizing that in each challenge, in each obstacle, there is the seed of opportunity for growth. There's a lesson. There's something you can learn and not make that mistake again. But being able to really create this artificial stress that's safe, and you can learn how to take control of your nervous system, your breath, where does your mind go? What are you thinking? You train up to that, right? And you continually train that. Mm. When something does happen in your real life, you're much less likely to fall apart. Mm. right the shit's not going to hit the fan in the same way Mm. because you have trained yourself to deal with that stress and i think that is a skill uh i don't think it's a trait like i think Mm. you can learn that skill by practice and the ice bath hard workouts meditation sometimes it's therapy sometimes it's having that conversation with somebody that you don't want to have Mm. um sometimes it's making that tough decision that's not going to make everybody happy but it's the right thing for the company right thing for the family and you're going to believe in that because you trust your instincts, right? Um, and that was like the whole concept behind get uncomfortable. Like what mm. is the common thread among high performers or people who are good leaders, right? Heart-centered leaders. What is the common thread among that? They are able to deal with stress in a positive way. They can embrace that stress and deal with it and then move forward. It doesn't mm. crush them. It doesn't crumble them. Um, that's the whole concept behind get uncomfortable. And I get to talk to people all the time who have done things like this, have done made hard decisions, who have changed their career path, who uh, are high level coaches, high level entrepreneurs. Like I mm. have the opportunity to talk to them and see like, what's going on in your mind? Like what's the, what's the get uncomfortable thread here? How do you do that? You know, and it's different for everybody, but it's consistent across the board. They do hard things on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I remember reading a book called Perform Under Pressure by a guy called Dr. Kerry Evans. He's the guy that was behind like the All Blacks culture of mindset. Uh, and we know what that kind of produced in the you know 90s, 2000s, 2010s, just a complete dynasty. But um, you know, one of the things that he talks about in that book is this kind of red blue mind. And you know, what he would try and get the team to be able to do is that even if it was like, you know, one minute to go on the clock, the team are down. Um, they wanted to be in blue mind. They didn't want to be red mind, you know, tri fever. Everything's like narrowing, blinded. Everyone's just kind of panicking. And and but he wanted them to get to this state of in that moment, whilst they are uncomfortable, 
you know, they're losing high stakes game, World Cup final type mentality that actually, even in that discomfort, they were still able to access the full uh, or as much of their consciousness as possible so that they can have better thoughts, better options, better solutions, better ways of leading the team or dealing with each other. Um, and, and I think that's kind of testament to kind of what we're saying, isn't it? Is that in those pressurized moments, we seem to find greater capacity. Yeah, I think you find greater capacity if you're prepared for that. Mm. If they didn't have that uh, culture built where it's like, Hey, even under stress, be in the blue mind, don't be in the red mind. You know, they've trained to that. If they get thrown into that, and if somebody gets thrown into a situation like that, and they haven't trained that, or they don't have that distinction, Mm. they go to red mind, right? Like that's not everybody, but that's a pretty typical response for humans, I think, to basically fall apart, you know, if you're not ready for it. So I think that's why, you know, get uncomfortable is not, like you said, it's not just one thing right? It's training. There's the dog. It's training uh, yourself to be prepared for whatever may come, right? In a multitude of ways. Yeah. Long runs, rucks, workouts, you know, like I said, therapy, ice baths, obviously, Mm -hmm. sauna, meditation, all those things, like preparing yourself to stay centered and have a way to come back to the path. Mm. Hey, friends, just wanted to take a moment to ask if you are a good man seeking growth and good men to grow with. Or maybe your partner's a good man and he's seeking good men to grow with. We are launching Akira, our council of good men who are seeking to walk the path of wisdom with other good men. Akira launches in March. Now is the opportunity to become a founding member of Akira. It will be a low-cost, high-value place for men where they'll benefit from support, challenge, accountability, ideas and solutions... There'll be opportunity for connection and collaboration where you'll receive new insights and perspectives. You'll gain learning and growth. It will improve your mental, spiritual and physical well-being and it will help you be a better leader in the home, in business and in life. It's Akira, a council of good men seeking to walk the path of wisdom with other good men. We hope to see you on the inside. See the show notes for the links, abty.co.uk forward slash Akira. And here we go. Back to the interview. I've never done jujitsu, but I imagine there's a bit of panic that sets in when you're, uh, when you're stuck. <laughs> how, do, yeah. how, do, how does, uh, does jujitsu sharpen you? Yeah, so I think I'll explain kind of like, uh, what happens in the beginning. So when somebody new comes in to jujitsu, um, like when I started, they kept saying to me, the first class I went to, they were like, calm down, calm down. And I'm like, I am calm. I feel like I'm calm. And they're like, you are stiff as a board. And you're like <laughs> grunting at people. And I'm like, I have no, I didn't know I was doing that. It's just like an unconscious response. I wasn't trained to it. And when that happens, you don't even know what's going on and you gas out really fast. And you, I mean, you just lose first because now that I've done it for a while, uh, it allows me to stay calm. So I've noticed like when I first started jujitsu, I was probably six months into it. I could feel when somebody new came in, I could feel how tense they were. I could feel how jerky they were. They're not smooth with their movement. I can tell they're having a sympathetic nervous Mm. system response. They are fight or flight and they can't help it. Right. (laughs) And I could feel after about six months of doing it, when somebody came in, like, Oh, I get what they were saying to me. I need to stay calm. Now, I've also noticed in situations outside of the gym where 
before I would get really worked up about it. Somebody would yell at you when you're walking or somebody honks at you when you're driving. I would have a sympathetic system response. It would be like, oh, oh, what did that person say to me? Why would you do that? Now, none of that bothers me. Like, I know that, like, I just had a 240 pound gorilla trying to kill me for an hour. I got smashed for an hour. And now this honking doesn't do anything to me. Somebody says something to me. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, also, I have the self-confidence now. Like, if you do want to do something about it, like, I know how to do it. I train it every day. And it just allows me to be way more calm. And that's pretty consistent across the board with all the jujitsu practitioners I know. <clears throat> They're super calm people. They're super nice. They've been humbled a lot. I think that's super important. You get humbled and uh, it allows me to just really not fly off the handle because nothing's as hard as somebody trying to kill you actively. Right, right. Yeah, I am. I am curious. I just stick to beating up my 10 year olds and just, uh, you know, getting them in a in a sharpshooter or something like that. Just reliving my WWE days with, with my 10 year old son with the, with the threat of <laughs> I'm sure he'll get old enough to be able to get me back. But for now, I'm just going to dominate a 10 year old. <laughs> hey, well, hey, man, you got to start somewhere. That's how you do it. Um, it's really funny, isn't it? That sometimes over, you know, every now and again, there's this little article that comes out that says, hey, do you know what? Um probably exercise in gyms was a really good thing and probably would have prevented COVID. But we didn't really kind of talk about that for the first two years because you'd have been an anti-vaxxer, you'd have been a conspiracy theorist. And every now and again, there's this little article that says, hey, guess what? If you had four or more comorbidities that your risk of disease was higher, your risk of suffering was higher. And yet um, here we are, good self running a gym in, in Nebraska. Um, and uh, tell us about what it was like for, for you running a gym during COVID, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was weird at first. It was really mm. weird. Um, the overall response to it was like my industry was attacked pretty heavily. Yeah. You know, we're we're super spreaders. We're the ones that are causing sure. the problems. We're, you know, that whole thing. And then you just get emails all the time. Anybody new that's coming in, what's your COVID procedure? And how are you going to do this? And do you have group classes? And that's not safe. And do you require masks? And it was like, we were sold the idea that everybody had the same risk right? Mm -hmm. If, if you got COVID, you were going to die, no matter who you were, mm -hmm. how healthy you were, like that doesn't apply to any other virus. That's never been the case, like, except for a few instances, right? And eventually we figured out it's, it's kind of like a cold, you know, especially if you're healthy, like you said, all these things come out and say, if you have low vitamin D, if you have comorbidities, if you don't get outside, if you don't exercise, like you have a way higher risk of getting mm -hmm. sick. So running the gym was really weird because initially, I was listening to doctors and health professionals who were saying these things from day one. Yeah. They were like, listen, this just what the, what the media narrative is, whatever you want to call it, isn't lining up with science. Right. And all you heard was trust the science and all the science said, you're going to die if you get around people. But if you look at the data, especially in gyms, the people that were coming to the gym were already healthier individuals, right? Mm -hmm. They rarely spread COVID. And if they did get sick, they didn't get near as sick. And there's actually some research showing people who are heavier, people who are obese or overweight, have more viral load and spread more of it. So mm. it's like, really, the thing we should have done was encouraged everybody to get healthy before COVID happened anyway. We already had in America, we have a pretty severe epidemic of obesity and overweight, yeah. even in children. Yeah. And they just didn't talk about it. What did they do? They shut down playgrounds they shut down gyms they shut down jujitsu places they shut down health food yeah. restaurants it's like the only thing that was open was walmart and fast food here in hastings 
they took caution tape and taped off all the playground equipment. Like, oh, don't go outside. Are you kidding me? Like, mm. I was just like, this is insane. So I was pushing back against that the entire time. Yeah. And making posts and making podcasts and talking to people about it. And I like, I was labeled a conspiracy theorist. I was Tough, crazy. Right? I was killing yeah. people, right? Yeah. Like I was a murderer. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, you guys don't get it. Your anger is misplaced. Your anger sure. is misplaced with who you should be mad at. Because I'm not doing it to you. Yeah. The health, the health, whatever, the health organization is is giving you bad advice, you know. Mm. So it was if, weird. If, yeah. If if people want to see, you know, I watched the um documentary Dope Sick on uh, I think it's on Disney Plus. Well, it's not a documentary, it's a TV series, but it's based on a true story of of the opioid epidemic in the 90s, 2000s and true based on true story and and that it started to open up this little rabbit hole for me of these companies have had some of the biggest corporate fines ever in existence of billions and billions of dollars it's like they're not working in our health interest there's a financial this is a business model and then and then obviously then go down you start to to do your research and man it was just one thing after another and you just you know leads you into i guess it got me into this understanding of the government's not our friend because on your podcast i think this week or or very recently you're talking about the most common gateway drug yeah what is the most common gateway drug junk food right highly processed shit food and it and it's not just the big corporations like McDonald's. It's when you go in every aisle, and who are they marketing to? Kids, kids, Always kids. And it's yeah. not when you sit back and you go, "Oh shit, they're not our friends." They are not because how does how do they get to market? You know, like Lucky Charms, good old leprechaun. How how does <laughs> and all like you said tony the tiger and and all those you know the bribery of running competitions having little toys in the things it's just like oh it's man a scam. it's mm. a scam i mean here in america i just found this out recently there were some documents released showing how the uh it's like the association for nutritionists and uh dietitians basically can't remember the exact name of the organization but it came out that they had been taking millions of dollars every year from PepsiCo, yeah, from yeah, Kraft yeah. Foods, from Nestle. And then with that money, they were also buying stocks in those companies. So do you think that their nutrition recommendations that they're giving, their official recommendations are unbiased? There's no way that they're unbiased. Mm -hmm. And when you look at all these cereals, these breakfast cereals, like they are nutritionally uh they're, they're absent of nutrition completely. There's nothing in them that would provide value, would help a child grow, that would give them the vitamins and minerals that they need. And then they just come out with this new list showing like Wheaties or right. honey Cheerios are better than eggs and meat. Like you are out of your mind. You're, I mean, that's total bullshit advice. And, yeah. and the majority of people know that, right? But it's very clear that they're not our friends. I think you nailed it when you said that. It's like follow the money and you can figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm just looking for that post now because I've seen it recently. Is this the these these it's almost like a hierarchy and it and it, and it labels like like you said, those high sugar cereals and yet the demonizing 
eggs, butter, milk, uh, or meat. And it's it's so hard, isn't it? Because you try and educate yourself. You know, anybody that watches the game changers automatically wants to go turn vegan. <laughs> and it's just like, it's tough, man. You know, you try and educate yourself. You try and make good decisions in this world. And yet so much is just um, manipulated. Like I say, it's not science. It's funded science, which is then ultimately propaganda. I heard uh, there's a guy, Paul Check, I follow. He's a, it's definitely propaganda. He's a health coach, a holistic health coach, a spiritual mm-hmm uh therapist he's he's a he's a really cool guy he's been doing this forever he's almost 60 something and he is like more jacked than i am so he's living the lifestyle right and he said he was talking with a guy and he's like that's not science those are technicians who work at a company who move numbers around masquerading as science like they figured out if they can fudge the data enough they can make it look like it's science but it's just a bunch of technicians selling stuff yeah yeah, science is, you know, and, and this is the thing that really got me during the pandemic is that, you know, I've got a scientific background in psychology and I know the ideas around, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't profess, you know, I've got an undergrad um, and, I, and I know the basics of research methods. And one of the 101 of science is you don't say you can prove anything. You always have to leave a margin of doubt, right? Yeah, you always have to leave a margin of doubt, and and I don't feel like any narrative over the last two years has left a margin of doubt. Quite the opposite. If there is any doubt, you're vilified. Yep, yep. You're you're banned. You're blocked. You're throttled back on your reach. You're, you know, cancelled basically. Yeah. Like you're fact checked. Everything. There is no other way other than the main narrative, and that's always a sign of, of weak data, right? Like mm. it's like a weak man's last resort is to attack. So like what, I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're not helping us. And if we go back to like the food recommendations, like the, uh, the new food pyramid or whatever they call it, I do a lot of nutrition coaching with people, nutrition counseling. And when you look at their diet, oftentimes some of the only foods that are not processed in their diet are eggs and meat. Yeah. Right. Everything else is processed has chemicals, colors, preservatives, all sorts of things in it. So the government's now recommending that you remove like the two main foods that are in people's diet that are not processed. Like, yeah, are yeah, you yeah. Crazy? yeah. So there's, um, so obviously Bruce Lipton, I think, you know, Bruce Lipton, where he, he quotes a, um, a guy called Lamarck from 1809. And he says that the end of humans will be when they start to separate themselves from the, the source, which sustains itself, which is nature. And if it's man-made, it ain't nature. Right. We have to stay connected to nature, both in its physical presence, but also in its provision of, of food and source of, of food and drink. It's, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I say not to get conspiratorial about anything, but you just got to think, why is that? I mean, I think it's hard to not be conspiratorial. I mean, everything mm-hmm. bad that has happened started as a conspiracy, right? Initially, like they mm. conspired to make the bad thing happen. So, I think like that gets a pretty negative spin on it. I'm pretty sure the CIA around the time JFK got killed actually started the term conspiracy theorist to counteract, you know, any alternative narratives. Right. So Mm -hmm. that right there even is like a buzzword that, you know, you got your tinfoil hat on, but it's like, I try to, you know, this stuff is bad. I got pretty deep into the COVID stuff. Like my wife at one point, because I wasn't sleeping anymore. I'm reading mm-hmm. all every article, mm-hmm. like figuring out like, hey, what's in this thing? And mm-hmm. I don't trust any of this shit. You know, mm-hmm. these these companies are not our friends. They don't have our yeah. best interest at heart, clearly. And 
I got so deep down that rabbit hole. It was like, what do I do about it? What, what mm. can I do about it? There's nothing I can do. I can't change somebody's mind if they don't want to hear it. I can't shut down a corporation. What I can do is find solutions in my day-to-day life and then promote those solutions to others. So, you know, have a strong connection with the people around me, have a good community set up. Maybe I can start growing a garden and I can get more healthy food and I can talk to people about growing a garden Mm. and teach them how to do it and get involved with the local community supported agriculture things. I can teach people how to work out. I can teach people how to meditate, how to use their breath, how to lower their stress, like live a good life Mm. in my circle. And hopefully that has a ripple effect. Like what are the solutions versus like, Hey, there is this big problem. What am I going to do about it? Mm. Like, well, I'm going to not support those companies as much as I can. And then I'm going to find alternative methods to live an awesome life. And like, Mm. that's the solution I finally got to. My wife got to a point where she's like, you need to go get help. Like, I think you need to go to therapy (laughs) because you're too deep in this. And I was like, ah, yeah, I am. Yeah. And and that's it. You're absolutely right. There comes a point. I mean, Lisa and I were very similar. We, um, you know, we'd we'd, uh, educated ourselves, shall we say, we got ourselves informed. And then you get to that point where you go, right, what do I do with this information? What do we do? And, and you're absolutely right. We 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 went inward. We went focusing on leading our family, making good choices. We go to local farm shops. We support local business. We've gone to natural products. We've filtered the water. Like we made a lot of changes, but they're small. But they all stack up. You know, we're gymming all the time, five days a week, breath work nasal getting back to nasal breathing taping the mouth getting in the ice baths these are all compound effects that maybe in the short term who knows but i'm hoping over the long term there's just a, a compound effect and and i think most importantly um and i'd love your view on this is that i've got two little uh, two little people watching uh, two little people watching very closely and they're listening to our tabletop conversations. They're learning how to think critically for themselves. We're instilling a sense of Team Hartley values. They're seeing me jump in the ice bath. Corey comes wild water swimming with me. Nice. They're seeing it. That. And I, and, I, and that, that for me gives me a big kind of, it doesn't matter, I guess, the big picture anymore, as long as I'm doing what I can for the, within these four walls. How does, how does fatherhood kind of shape this element, this drive that you have? Yeah, it changed uh, a lot for me, just the way I thought about legacy and thought about what I'm doing each day. I actually kind of backed off of work a little bit. Like I didn't work quite as much. I was working 70, 80 hour weeks in the gym for the first three or four years, you know? Then we had a kid and it was like, okay, it's time to maybe shift gears a little bit, hired some people for the gym to take some of the responsibility off of me, kind of decided to go home a little bit. But I think you nailed it with saying like, you got to be aware that you have young people watching you. Your kids are going to watch everything that you do mm. and they're going to absorb it. And it's going to, they're going to learn that it's their life, right? Like it's a lifestyle. This isn't going to the gym is not a punishment. Eating vegetables is not a punishment. Like mm. reading a book is not punishment. These are things that we do to grow. These are things that we do to help our, help us pursue our highest potential, right? Mm. Not necessarily like achieve it, but always in the pursuit of our highest potential. And I think that's super important. Quinn sees me doing ice baths too, same thing. And she wants to get in them, right? And then she talks about it. Like, even if we have a suitcase open, like just a big suitcase, we're going on a trip somewhere. She hops in the suitcase and says, oh, daddy, look, I'm in my ice bath, my suitcase ice bath. Like she says those things. She gets in the ice bath with me. 
she goes to the gym she sees us working out she knows what lunges are she does squats she does push-ups she does <laughs> i mean picks up dumbbells and kettlebells and does deadlifts like she eats the food that we eat you know they see that and you yeah. model that behavior for them and then what does that do they go over to their friend's house and maybe they can have whatever maybe they have lucky charms or whatever but they know that that's not the norm like mm -hmm. their lifestyle is just set up different and eventually they're going to take that as they grow they're going to be healthier they're going to know reading is important they're going to know being outside is important like we take her on hikes and she's been outside and we went to yellowstone and biked right next to the tetons she got to see the mountains and she loves it now you know yeah man. and she knows i hunt so she's always talking about, oh daddy is there deer over there you can go hunt like let's go hunt deer oh i want to go hunting with you and like you're just exposing her to self-reliance you're exposing your kids to good lifestyle behaviors right mm -hmm. and hopefully they take that forward and do that with their kids if they have kids right and you're building up your family and your community and then other people see that too you know the friends that you hang out with see they're working out see that you're working out and they're like that's pretty cool maybe my kids could start doing that too and maybe not so much tablet time right and so these ripple effects they are small in the beginning but that's how everything is you start small you take one step in front of the other that's how you get up a mountain one foot at a time but eventually you get to the top of the mountain and you look back and you're like oh, i can't believe i did that yeah 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 right yeah i love that there's a guy um ben greenfield i don't know if you're familiar with with ben greenfield yeah, I love him. yeah he um so i saw him speak at an event last year and and like it was a biohacking event and you know everyone was talking about all the latest biohacks and he was just like he came straight out with like family's your number one biohack because if if all is not well at home like forget all the things that you're doing in the world and he said this one line he said you need to parent your kids like you're raising like you're parenting your grandkids or or parent your kids raise your kids like you're raising your grandkids i butchered it but you get my point he he he's getting us to think about the legacy beyond just our children but if they start to parent in a similar way that we parent then we're effectively showing them how to parent their own child yeah for all the good or bad that what that might be <laughs> right well i mean we're gonna mess our kids up <laughs> yeah, right like right, there's yeah. no way to not do it i yeah. think you feel yeah. like i don't want to do that hopefully i just don't mess them up in the same way i got messed up or i'm like a little less messed up than i'm messed yeah. up you know yeah. and you don't want to continue that cycle of hurt you know like hurt people hurt people yeah. so if you can break that cycle i think that's pretty powerful and setting a good example by leading the way you live your life you know is super important and i think that has a really lasting effect on them yeah you're a generational change maker and um i know that your kids are going to have such a great um platform and footing and 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 what maybe that you didn't necessarily have yourself yeah yeah that that's kind of been my goal the whole time like i just i want to do a good job for them um for my wife for i mean even for myself right like i don't think that's a bad thing to like want to do a good job mm. and luckily i've just had the right mentors in my life and i've seen the right information where i can use that in a positive way and hopefully move everything forward in the right way and just not not have them start one foot behind right mm. or start in a hole and have to dig out of a hole like i want to give them every opportunity to go above and beyond what i yeah. do well, from what I know about your story, you weren't just one foot behind. You were one, two, three, four, five, six feet behind. You know, like life sounded tough for you as a kid. Yeah. 
yeah, I had a pretty rough uh, upbringing, probably about the time I was like 15, lost my mom, she committed suicide. Um, most people know that I've talked about that on the podcast before, but mm-hmm. then things just kind of got crazy. You know, I turned to alcohol, I turned to drugs, I turned to not paying attention in school, I just didn't care really about anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, luckily, maybe, I don't know if you subscribe to the idea that like alcoholism is genetic or not, but I guess I just don't have the makeup to be an alcoholic. Like mm-hmm. I was lucky because I was on the road. Like if I was going to be, I was going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And recently in the last couple of months, I've just, I've completely stopped drinking alcohol. I don't drink any alcohol anymore. Um, we just went on vacation to Kansas city and we were out with all my family and everybody's getting drinks at this Brazilian steakhouse. And I was just like, I don't even miss it. It was like, I don't need it. I know how this is going to make me feel mm-hmm. tomorrow and I don't need it anymore. And I had, bad experiences with it growing up myself, but also my family, everybody's a heavy drinker. And it's like, I don't, I don't want the life that you guys have. I don't like Mm -hmm. how your life turned out. You're kind of ran by this substance. And I feel like that's not my path. I'm not going to do that. Nothing, nothing against drinking. If people want to, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If you can do it in moderation and control it. But for me, I was just like, I feel like shit the day after I'm anxious. I'm tired. I'm way more angry and edgy. And it's like, I don't like to feel like that, I, mm. even two, three days after drinking. So it's like, I'm just going to quit. And that it feels like a weight off of my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to mess with that anymore. And I can just focus on my purpose and path and keep getting better, you know? Mm. Yeah, I love the story that you shared when you came in. You did a, a guest speaker slot in our, in our Master Heart and Mind. And love this, um, just this divine opportunity that, that found your way with, it, with working in the gyms. Tell us about that story um give me a little more context so there was um you ended up uh dropping out of college and then getting a a a job in a gym yeah like this this sweet gym that you wanted to be part of yeah it was uh i had i was finishing college so i finished college actually but i finished it online so i had moved away Mm. um we were moving to this town in omaha it's the biggest town in nebraska it's not very big still but we moved there before I had graduated, before I finished my degree. So I had to go into the registrar's office and basically plan every single thing out, every credit I would need, how I was going to do it, when I was going to get it done, make sure I had all my requirements for the degree. And my advisor was like, you can't do that. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go right to the main person and set up a meeting with them. They were nice enough to take the meeting. And I had everything out in a spreadsheet. I had my wife help me at the time, which I never would have got it done if she didn't help me. But I had everything to a T dialed out. And I actually got serious about my life. Like I hadn't really been serious about anything up until that point. But I realized something just felt right. It was definitely divine. Like we're going to go to Omaha and something good is going to happen. So I got serious about my life. And I sat down, I lined everything up. I took all the classes. We moved to Omaha, finished it online. Got I, I drove to the post office in Omaha like, three months later, and my degree was in the mail. And I was just like, yes, like, I did it. I did it my way. Like, I've always had to be that guy, like, I got to do it my way. Yeah, I did it. And then I was working at a pharmacy where we're selling medical equipment. And I did not like it at all, because it's part of that machine, right? It's part of that big Mm. pharma machine there. They're putting band-aids on people, they're prescribing way too many drugs to people that aren't really solving the issue. Mm -hmm. A lot of these anxiety and depression drugs that were given, They were built on a model that was false, right? The chemical imbalance model has recently come out. It's been propagated by the pharmaceutical industry. And it's actually, there's nothing to back that up. 
but the doctors don't see the research. There's nothing in the leaflets about it. So I was working in this environment where we're just handing out these drugs and I'm not helping anybody. I joined this gym that I wanted to be a part of. I didn't, I didn't have any plan. I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't know if I was going to get a job there, they were going to like me or if I was going to like it, whatever. I was just like, I, I feel like I have to do this thing. I have to take this leap. Went in, it was a good workout for me. It was like movements that I was really good at that day. And we, everybody was in a big circle. It was probably 35 people. And I just destroyed the workout, like max effort, 100%. First one done, smoked it. And I was like, yeah, baby. And I think that set the precedent because like a week later, I was walking around the pharmacy and the owner of the gym texts me, hey, you're certified, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to work here? And I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I was waiting for, baby. Let's go. Uh, I got a job there. I started interning. Um, and then I became a paid coach, had a paid uh, position, and then got to run a diff couple different programs. But that taught me how to run a gym, right? I got yeah. to see the back end stuff. I got to see the sales. I got to see the contracts. You know, I learned so much from them. And if I wouldn't have taken that leap, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do now which has been my full-time job for five years. Like I mm. run my own business now for five years. It supports the family. I get to do what I love every day. I get to help people. But like, if I wouldn't have done that initial getting serious about my life, because I was, I was listening to the universe. I was listening to God. Mm. Like there was something mm. pulling at my heart telling me like, Hey, this is right. Just trust the process. Right. And doing that allowed me to do what I'm doing today. And I'm like very grateful for the whole process, but it, I, I did not have a plan initially. It was weird how it all worked out. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, five years, they haven't been the, the average of five years either, have they? They've been like global meltdown. Yeah, right. That's the thing. Like absolutely the weirdest five years of life, you know? Yeah. It, it was crazy. Like, yeah, the whole COVID thing, dude, that was weird. I thought that was for sure going to kill my business because they were making people so scared of working out. Like, mm. That's the only way to protect yourself that like health doesn't come from external sources. Health comes from inside of you. Health comes mm. from your daily actions that you do. It comes from managing your stress and having a solid family life, right? Mm. Making sure things are right at home, right? Right inside with you. That's where health comes from. Mm. You know, the stuff that you do, you can't get it from a drug. You can't get it from uh even a podcast you can't get it you can get tools and tricks but it's the actions that you take that you do that's where it comes from yeah well people only have to look as far as culture and you know health beauty happiness you know those three examples there's health products health you know all this stuff you know the health and beauty section beauty salons happy meals like all these things that out there and, and it's a cultural reminder to say hey look if you want these things come and buy more <laughs> yeah consume more and i guess that's where the buddhists are on the right path because they're like no do 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 desire less yes you know you already have all that you need desire less yeah i think that's important to recognize and when you do the work right when you do yeah. that internal work paul check calls it uh, a work in instead of a workout right like, right right if your body's broken, your mind's broken, you need to do some work ins mm. right, to deal with that. You do naturally want less. You do naturally learn how to feel satisfied with what you have and be grateful for what you have. I think that's yeah, a big yeah, one too. Yeah. People don't practice gratitude a lot. And that was a big mind shift like for me yeah. when I recognized I can be grateful with, I can want more, 
yeah. but also be really grateful for what I have and how great my life is right now. Uh, and, I, and I think that's the greatest flex. I, I genuinely think that's the greatest flex is not having more and showing that off is being able to look around and like appreciate all you have. And here's the thing without having to lose it first. Yeah. Yeah. That's a road I don't want to go down like that. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine the amount of people that you see that start to appreciate their body after they get injured or after something bad happens or after they're unwell and it's almost like, I guess, Tony Robbins says that if health isn't your number one value, it certainly will be once you lose it. Yeah, I, there's an old saying, I, I can't remember who said it initially, but the man with his health has a thousand wishes. The man without has but one. Yes. Right? You just want to be out of pain and you want to be healthy. And being able to recognize that before yeah. you go over the waterfall is super important. It's really important, you know, because I'm I'm sat here very uncomfortable right now and I'm putting a lot of effort into try and focus on you. And because I was doing some shoulder shrugs in the gym yesterday and I just tweaked as I was I was just putting them back on the rack and it was slightly a bit too high for me. I'm sure I'm five ten. And um it was just slightly too high for me. And I tweaked and like my entire neck is just like I feel like a robot. And and it just affects your entire life. You know, if you haven't got that wellness. Anyone with a bad back knows that your patience goes from 100 to zero very, very quickly. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example, right? Like that's not even a catastrophic injury where you need surgery and you can't use your arm mm. anymore, but that's enough of an inconvenience for you to notice it and it affects yeah. you. And you're not going to take for granted once that injury is gone, right? Yeah. Once everything feels good again, you're going to be like, I'm glad I'm not hurt right now. Imagine yeah. people that are in severe chronic pain all the time because of a poor lifestyle. Like you've eaten and non-exercised yourself into this situation. Yeah. It probably feels hopeless and that's not a good place to be. But the good news is the solution being solution focused, you can do something about it, right? Mm. You can go, it doesn't cost any money to go on a walk. It doesn't cost any money to go on a walk and people miss that. Like walking is such good exercise and it's also good mental exercise. It allows you time to think, mm. allows you time to focus on your breath. That doesn't cost any money. And it's something that could drastically improve your health. You have the power to change. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. You said the word hope or hopeless. And um, I heard something, I think it was Johan Hari in his book, Lost Connections. He says that without hope, your present pain feels permanent. Like that's powerful, isn't it? Your present pain feels permanent. And, and that that's what makes you a hope dealer. Because in coming to someone like you, it is an act of faith that if I go to this place and I do whatever Shay tells me, whatever coach tells me to do, that I will be not only relieved of my suffering, but I will gain greater possibilities as a result. A hope dealer. I like that. I've never heard that before. I like that a lot. That's that's You're what a I dealer do, in hope. Yeah, man. Sell hope. That's what you do. You know, like people hope this works. And it's like, well, luckily we have a lot of research showing that it does work. So if you do what I say, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to work, you know, that's, that, uh, that's it. because, you know, people's like, oh yeah, but you know, hope isn't a strategy. You're right. Hope isn't a strategy. Hope's a heart set, which is this just fundamental belief that things will improve. Things will get better. Yeah. If you don't have that, you're not going to try, right? <clears throat> you don't have hope that you can get better. That's a really good quote. Like I'm going to, I'm really going to like meditate on that quote, you know, without hope, your present pain feels permanent. Yeah. And we are in a mental health epidemic as well, right? Mm. Tons of suicides, tons of depression, anxiety through the roof in general. And I think it's because a lot of people have lost connection to hope. 
yeah. they've lost yeah. Yeah. connection yeah. to a purpose right and like if you don't have a purpose in your life you feel hopeless what are yes. you doing what are you why are you waking up in the morning like connect to a bigger goal and the bigger goal does not have to be build the next amazon right mm -hmm. i think that bigger goal can be can I set a good example for somebody today? Can mm. I do something kind mm. for someone else today? If I see somebody out on the street, can I smile at them? Mm. Can I make the world a slightly better place by smiling at somebody? Yeah. Man, that could have a pretty powerful effect on somebody's day. Very. To be seen. That's a purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In that moment, they feel seen. It, and, and, you know, some people, particularly the intellectually driven people of this world, Hope is an abstract concept. You can't see it. You have to engage in it. You have to go beyond what you can reason with. And, um, you know, not only do people go, oh, well, hope isn't a strategy, but they'll also say, oh, well, it's the hope that kills you. And actually, if you read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, what he said is that in this, in, in this Auschwitz camp, people stayed alive through the power of hope. It was the absence of hope that killed them it's not the hope that kills them it's the absence of hope because once they realize that because what he said in the book is that most people seem to die between christmas and new year and you could put that down to the weather and it being bad conditions but what he put it down to was that these people had the hope that they would be home with their families by christmas and in realizing that they weren't they gave up hope and then their bodies succumbed to whatever illnesses that they were carrying their spirit gave up and it was actually the absence of hope that he said killed them. That I think that makes perfect sense when you have the absence of hope. It's it's hopeless, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> literally the definition, you know, Here, I saw some interesting research on this uh, with mice. So researchers took mice and they put them in water and they let them swim. Right. They did not know they were going to be saved. They didn't know how long they're going to be there. Just leave them. They didn't swim for very long. I don't remember the exact time frame, but it wasn't very long until they basically gave up and would have drowned if they wouldn't have been saved. Now, the they did it again, but they saved the mice right away. Mm. They put them in for about like, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, got them out, and then they put them back in. So after they'd been saved once and they recognized that savior was a possibility, mm -hmm. they swam for like 30 minutes before they mm. gave up because mm. the possibility, the hope of being saved was there. They know that can happen. And they swam for way longer. And that's just mice, you know, like that's pretty interesting research, like on the mental state of people, if you don't have that hope. And I think people lose the concept that physical health, bettering your body through exercise, through nutrition, through mm. meditation, improves your mental health. There is a huge connection between the two. The mind and the body are not disconnected, right? They are connected. And when you can better your health, you do think better. You have more positive thoughts, you release more dopamine, serotonin, all sorts of endorphins, like your mental health improves when you improve your physical health. Sometimes it's really hard to say I'm going to go to therapy. Sometimes it's really hard to say I'm going to really dive into my shadow, my shadow work, and figure out like, what happened when I was a kid, like that can be heavy, and that can be hard. And that's a big step to take. Mm. But the first step, I think, almost always could be your physical health. Can you get healthier? Can you exercise a little bit? Can you eat a little bit better? Can you drink water? Can you sleep better? Can you do those things? And naturally, like a snowball, man, it's going to like build into an avalanche. You get better. You start to think better. You sleep better. You improve your health. You improve your life. You improve your mind, you know, mm. connected so strong. And people like I almost have a disdain for the fitness industry at this point, because all I see are these people talking about 
how to make 15k a month, how to do this, how to do that. Take your shirt off here. Like everybody's at this fitness expo with their shirt off, which whatever, I take my shirt off too, but like people see that, people that aren't in that world and they immediately write everything off. Like I don't like the gym, right? I don't like being healthy. That's not for me. That's for those people. Like I don't even like that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I've I've grown like disgusted by it almost because people need to recognize health is for everyone. And when you're healthier, you have a better life. You know, that's what I want people to know. Like your mind will work better. Your mental health improves if your physical health improves. It's not separate. Mm. Yeah, true story. True story. I um, Yeah, all ages as well. Like there's, um, I think it's a good friend of ours in common. Is it Deb? I think Deb, um, Deb's been a follower since uh, yeah. I think, I think I interviewed the first time. And I, and I think if I get it right, I don't want to quote her age, but um i think she's still cracking out with the workouts and the early mornings and and very much benefiting from that kind of lifestyle yeah for sure deb is awesome she's a really cool person because uh, when she would come to the gym she likes like hardcore like rap music and i was like what okay this is cool like whatever man i dig it and i just did not expect that but she's she's an interesting person but yeah she is still getting after it and there's another guy named sam i was on his podcast um cowboys not eggheads is the name of his podcast but same thing man like he came in he didn't have a lot of mobility he was really tight he'd never really worked out in his life and he has i think he still goes to that gym in omaha crossfit kinesis and he he's been busting his ass for years and he's gotten healthier and feels better and his blood work has improved and he's just like living a higher quality life Mm. and you know he's in his 50s late 50s i think so it's just anybody can do it kids i have a couple that comes into the gym they are in their seventies and I have them on the ground doing full planks for a minute. They're doing shoulder taps in a plank. Like I have people who come in who are 40 who can't do that, you know? Mm. So there's not a limit on it and it's going to benefit anybody. No matter you're not too far gone. Everybody thinks they're too far gone or I can't start, or maybe I'll get in shape before I go to the gym. Like, okay, are you going to wash your car before you go to the car wash? That doesn't make any sense. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that. <laughs> you yeah, um, <laughs> well, it just reveals the you know it's purpose, isn't it? You know, I. It's it's the purpose and the possibilities. That's the real word that inspires me here. Always, but yesterday is is this idea that our hard work, the things that we love to do in the service of others, it creates possibility, and and that's the thing I think should be front and center of the fitness industry is not the image obviously that sells that and i think that's why it happens it's hey look like this come come buy this whereas the deeper connection is the possibilities that you create and that's in everyday lives for every day you know for the person that's fit enough to carry their child you know someone that might have had an injury has regained health and well-being to actually lift their child for the first time count i'm sure you've had hundreds and hundreds and countless stories of the possibilities you create. And I know that we've danced around it a little bit and you've touched on it, but what do you think your heart print will be? What do you think the legacy of your interactions and the possibilities that you create will be? That's a good one. I got to think about that for a second. That's a good one. I hope that people will recognize that they have the ability to improve their standings, right? To improve their life 
uh, through their own actions. That's like what I try to teach people when they come into the gym. I can tell you what to do. I can show you what to eat. I can show you how to work out, but you have to do the work, mm. you know, and the people who commit to it make the change. And I hope people recognize, like, I hope my heart print on people is that they remember they have the power. Like, I, lo- I hope I can empower people to live a better life, man. And that, like, I think that it sounds hokey sometimes when I say it, but I, I do believe it. If you can make one person's life better, hopefully they can go out and make somebody else's life better. And if they're not an asshole to somebody, then maybe that next person they would have been an asshole to won't be an asshole to the next person. And now you're six people deep. That's 300 people. That's 10,000 people, right? That everybody was just a little bit nicer because they recognized they're not stuck. Mm. Does that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, mom. And I'm just thinking about that image over your shoulder in your studio that says, When's a good day to get better? Today. Today. Yeah, today is a good day to get better. How can people connect with you? How can people find you? Do you do online stuff as well? Should our international uh, friends be listening? Yes, yes. Uh, We recently started uh, with a program. It's an app that you can download. We can upload workouts. Uh, We can do all sorts of correspondence through that. I can send documents. Like we have meditation documents that we send. We have tracks that we can send on there. So we do do remote personal training and remote consultation through Zoom. Um, So yeah, remote is definitely an option for us. That's something we've added in probably the last two years with COVID, really. I mean, so there was some positives with COVID kind of forced me to adapt. But (laughs) um, yeah, basically shoot me an email. Uh, We have a we have a website, enlightenedathlete.com. You can find all the contact information on that website. Um, so the email's on there. My personal cell phone's on there, which some people say is a bad idea, but I like to talk to people. So that's on there. Um, we're on Instagram, at enlightenedathlete. And then the podcast is called Get Uncomfortable. Um, and the uh, logo, it's like bright green letters with like a mountain road behind it. Some people, there's a couple Get Uncomfortables on there, but that's ours. Um, so if you subscribe to that, like the episode, share those out for me, that helps grow everything. So that's probably where that's the best way to connect. So love that. What are you inspired to create with all the craziness going on in the world the last couple of years? Like if you really get your head down and focus on it, what's, uh, what's inspiring you at the moment? Yeah. Uh, the main thing is, uh, stress inoculation, basically getting people to, be able to push back against the stress that's pushed back upon them, which is why I'm starting this workshop thing. This will be our first one on February 11th at the gym. Um, but we are looking to refine and see how the first one goes. And then we're going to try to take that on the road and eventually do maybe traveling seminars where we teach people how to build a framework for stress, how to be a little bit more resilient and prepared in their daily lives. So this will be the first one. We're getting it rolling, but that's my big goal for 2023 is to build that out, see how that's going, and then maybe eventually take that on the road, maybe internationally. Yeah, man, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to jump in a nice bath with you. Mate, it's been great to reconnect. Great to have you back on. Um, I love the work that you're doing. Really, uh, yeah, just, you know, every time I say this to you when I meet, when, when we talk, it's just like, we need to do a road trip. Like, I keep saying, me and Abby need to get an RV and uh, doing always better than yesterday road trip and uh, Hastings, Nebraska is definitely somewhere on that map that I want to come and, and hang out and, and have some barbecue, meet the family. It'd be amazing. Dude, I would absolutely love that. And you are more than welcome to do so. You're welcome anytime. Love that brother. Honored. If you'd leave us a final thought from your good self. 
Uh, my final thought is go get uncomfortable on purpose. <laughs> there we go. Simple. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. So thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Much love to you. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you.